Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory Pine, and I am joined here by Father Joseph Anthony Cress. How are we doing, Father Joseph Anthony? Uh, we're back at it. New, <laughs> new year, new semester, new episode. Just, just living our best new life. It's all the newness right now. Mm, indeed. <laughs> we're sitting here together in Washington, D.C. at the Dominican House of Studies in the Thomistic Institute, just looking out over Michigan Avenue. So if you hear the low thrum of passing vehicles, that's because it's the low thrum of passing vehicles. Funny how that works out, it's, right? It's crazy, yeah. you know? Sometimes Madness. what you hear, what you think corresponds to reality. Actually, most of the times. Most of the times, yeah. Nearly all the time. <laughs> um, so we're here uh, during the Lenten season, and we're going to uh, be deliberate about the way that we approach Lent as a way of helping our listeners to be deliberate about the way that you approach Lent. So perhaps you've started off with the intention to take on some extra Lenten practices, or perhaps to get rid of some things that may be a source of temptation or a source of distraction. But what we're gonna focus on are just the basics. So things that are part of every happy, healthy, holy, Christian, flourishing life. The type of things that, um, yeah, regardless of whether you are professed religious or if you are you know, in fifth grade at the local public school, these are things that are gonna be part of your Christian life. So we're just gonna walk through simple things like prayer, like sacraments. Uh, we're gonna talk about study. We're gonna talk about uh, the different signs, as it were, of a dynamic Catholic, though maybe not following the order that Matthew <laughs> Kelly would use. Also, do we have fifth graders that listen to this podcast? I don't know. I was just trying. <laughs> I just got to go for a range of options. Yeah, it felt I'm, right. But if you're a fifth grader out there, we respect respect. you. What's up? Yeah, word up to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in this episode, we thought that given the emphasis uh, in the Lenten season on penance and on growing in our penitential disposition and our contrition for past sins, that we would talk about the sacrament of confession. So let's just kick it off. Father Joseph Anthony, what is the sacrament of confession? Well, it's one of the seven sacraments that the Lord has given us uh, to perfect us in this life and to draw us closer to himself. And specifically, it's a sacrament that is focused on the um, the forgiveness of our sins, where we, we bring our past transgressions to the Lord, and he uh, takes them to himself. He forgives us and heals us so that we can have freedom then to move forward in this life. Um, so it's it's a sacrament that is, is really beautiful because it uh, takes into account the past, but it also uh, has an eye towards the future in, mm-hmm. in a real sense, and uh, which makes sense because the Lord Jesus, uh, you know, has authority of of the past, present, and future, and he precisely acts within the sacrament of confession to um, to forgive our past, but to give us healing in the present and strength for the future. I love that um, the idea that it's it, it regards the past or it considers the past, but it it looks towards the future, and I think this is one of the ways in which penitence, which confession cultivates, is a distinctively Christian thing, and it's something. Um, that is not to be confused with regret. So mm-hmm. it's not as if the Christian looks at his past and wishes that it weren't or wishes that it were otherwise. But he looks at the past in the context of the sacrament of confession and he asks God for forgiveness, having wounded his relationship, his friendship with the Lord. But also he, he regards the past so as to identify how the Lord is present there, maybe goading or inviting, uh, certainly healing and elevating, um, perhaps 
you know, permitting something to befall, but ultimately as a way by which to bring you, the Christian, to the present um, and to the reconstituting or the rebuilding of the relationship so that you can go forward together unto uh, a future that is, please God, one that, you know, is, is soaked with charity, is ever-growing in charity. Um, okay, so... If that's the case, then how, how? What are like the steps of confession? What is necessary for a good confession? Yeah, I think um, when we kind of break down the core elements and like the 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 pillars of confession, it's there are a few different things. So we can talk about the matter and form of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's always going to be uh, what we call the remote matter mm-hmm. for the sacrament of confessions, which is precisely sins okay right? those transgressions they are in the past it's remote from the celebration of the sacrament but it's also necessary mm-hmm. right uh, you have to bring sins uh in your past transgressions into the uh, sacrament of confession uh but then there's also the uh proximate matter that we have and that's actually the sorrow of the penitent mm. so it's one thing to say like yeah these are past sins that i have like yeah i robbed that bank you know i i punched that bum in the face or whatever it is but i'm not sorry for any of it yeah like you can't forgive something that somebody's not sorry for sure so that's like the heart of the the matter that you have this kind of double-edged sword you need both remote as well as proximate matter for the sacrament and then you bring these before the sacrament you can confess them to a validly ordained priest and then he imparts absolution i guess i mean uh, most of our listeners won't have objections to the practice of sacramental confession but what is you know you're having a conversation with somebody who doesn't see this as a sacrament maybe uh, a protestant person uh, what why, what's the logic in confessing your sins to another human being in the place of christ who acts in the place of christ yeah, I think um, we always look at all of the sacraments um, because the Lord gave them to us uh, as the fitting ways to heal our humanity and to redeem it, mm-hmm. but also as a gift to us, right? These are to benefit us. Yeah. And so uh, when he gives us these sacraments, and precisely, I think sacrament of confession is the easiest way to point this out, is so that we have the guarantee that our sins are forgiven, yeah. right? We're not in question. A lot of people say, well, I can just ask God for forgiveness. I can say, okay, but do you hear the forgiveness? Do you know you're forgiven? How do you know, right? Yeah. And when we hear the priest's words, I absolve you, we can be utterly confident that our sins are forgiven because it's Christ acting in that way. So this is a gift to us. This is for our benefit so that we can be kind of at peace being able to hear the fact that we have been forgiven. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, that's very striking and that's very beautiful. And I think too, in terms of how St. Thomas describes sacraments as they're visible signs of invisible graces or the way that St. Augustine describes it as a sign of a sacred thing making men holy. <clears throat> but in the sacrament of confession, the sign is visible. And, and as you describe, if you're just asking God for forgiveness, but you have no way of verifying whether or not it's been granted, except by a kind of presumption or hopeful thinking, then it can be psychologically very unsettling. But if you hear the words, I absolve you, uh, spoken uh, by the priest, but spoken in persona Christi, you know that this sacrament instituted by Christ actually has its effect because it has been instituted to have its effect. The words that we often use are ex opere operato. It conveys grace by the very work having been worked. So for those who need the certainty that their relationship with God, having been sundered, can be reconstituted. The sacrament of confession is awesome indeed. 
All right. Big fan. Yeah. Big yeah. Fan. Yeah. Cheers. Two thumbs up for the sacrament of confession. Woo-hoo. Kudos, Jesus. You nailed it. Stuck the landing. Um, so sacrament of confession has effects in the soul of the believer. Uh, we talked about contrition. You know, you bring your conf- contrition to the sacrament of confession, but sometimes that contrition is imperfect. And actually the first effect of the sacrament of confession is to perfect contrition, um, which is wild. So you think about, sometimes we'll hear in the tradition, imperfect contrition and perfect contrition, or maybe you'll hear attrition and contrition. The sacrament of confession makes it such that the sorrow that you bring, the hatred that you bring for sin, is actually brought to term. It's actually brought into the fullest sense. But sacrament of confession has a further effect yet. So what else does it do? Well, it also takes away those sins, right? So not only is it perfecting us through the uh, the contrition, the sorrow that we bring, but it removes those obstacles, those sins away from us, and then draws us into unity once again with our God, right? So uh, as those obstacles, as those, that sin has been removed from our life, then we become one again and that um perfect and kind of the baptismal relationship that we first received in the life of grace is reestablished once again. So when we find ourselves uh, removed or at a distance or our relationship with God has become estranged because of sin, then sin is remitted from it and taken away so that we are reunited with God in that perfect and baptismal relationship once again. And in that, too, we're readmitted to the sacrament of Holy Communion. So, you know, having been catechized, we know that one ought to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion when uh, he commits a mortal sin, you know, conscious of that mortal sin before he's able to get back to the sacrament of confession. But with this grace of pardon, of the remission of sins, one is readmitted to the Eucharistic table. And so, you know, that sacrament, which is not ordered to the forgiveness of sins, can then go forward and, and build up the believer in his spiritual life. And so, there's, there's oh. a really interesting point there, that, that union between the individual and God that takes place within the sacrament of confession um, then allows us to be united and reunited with the entirety of the ecclesial body of Christ, right? So there's that unity between the individual and God that then uh, is the entrance into the unity of the Christian community through the Eucharist, right? The body of Christ. So like you see that both are directed towards unity in a real and direct way. Yeah. And it's to see the interrelatedness of the sacraments is very beautiful. You think about how baptism oh, yeah. impresses a character on the heart. It makes you a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, a spiritual, you know, adopted spiritually as son or daughter of God. And then you could receive the other sacraments. Uh, but conscious of the fact that we sin, we need a sacrament attuned to the healing of our soul after baptism. And so penance is what it is. And then, you know, it's it's made for the upbuilding of the, cor- the, the spiritual body or it's made for the upbuilding of the mystical body. And so it makes eminent sense that the confession would lead to the Eucharistic I mean, table. We, we just clipped off four out of the seven sacraments, right? <laughs> Talking go. together. So they're all interrelated and they play well in the sandbox together, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm. Kudos to Jesus again. Yeah. All there right. So let's, having described the sacrament of confession, let's get a little practical. Let's talk about, first we're going to talk about sin and then we'll talk about some practicals about how to make a good confession. So talking about sin, let's clarify what is sin and what is sin not. Get us started. Um, I think the first thing to talk about is sin is in the will, right? So sin's in the will. It's going to be um, some form of disobedience against the love of God or love of neighbor, right? And so um, I think with that understanding, 
we can kind of talk about like what sin is not Mm -hmm. and there's you can run a whole kind of litany of what sin is not but what is typically confused for sin Uh, i think the first is you know temptations that those are not sins right um Mm -hmm. we can always remember that jesus never sinned in his life Mm -hmm. last i checked right jesus did not sin but jesus did experience temptations Mm -hmm. he was tempted in the desert he was tempted in the garden of gethsemane right so just the presence of temptation is not sin and i think a lot of times people feel that way because it's like oh my gosh i am being tempted therefore i'm a bad person i've set myself up for this i'm sinning Mm -hmm. right but it's not in the will that's that's an attack that's a um attack of the evil one so yeah i think the first thing that typically gets confused with sin but is not necessarily of itself sin is temptation even though once we engage with that temptation you know willfully and that it it takes on a different character and leads us to sin yeah but uh that that initial temptation not necessarily sin yeah and then we can add to that emotions right so i think a lot of people may be confused by their own emotional states and they may feel strange or you know somewhat awkward when it comes to to managing that um, but this, in a strict sense, again, is not sin because emotions taken at face value are morally neutral. Yeah. So something happens in your life. It may be unjust. It may be discomforting. And you may respond to that in anger. And that's a kind of natural response that you would see something that requires vindication or redress and that you would respond in anger. But the question is, has that anger been incorporated virtuously into your life mm-hmm. or has it become vicious? So. On its face value, anger is just a response. Uh, it's an emotional response that doesn't have a moral character. But as it becomes vicious or as it becomes virtuous, then it takes on a moral hue. So we don't have to you know, feel bad for desiring things or for delighting in things or for hating things or having aversions from things or feeling you know, maybe despair or daring or anger in this just basic emotive sense, this kind of animal sense almost. But rather, we should be cognizant of the fact that these emotions can be trained and then they take on a properly moral quality so yeah and i i think the the last thing that we can kind of talk about and throw into this category of what is not necessarily sin um are accidents accidents happen right bad things happen i I think we can talk about all sin is bad that's 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 the reality all sin is bad but not every bad thing is sinful Mm -hmm. you know um bad things happen to good people and it, it's just how how the cards uh, how the chips fall sometimes, and so there there are times that you find people coming in um, to the sacrament of confession, and they just start listing all the bad things in their life, and it's not all uh, they're not culpable for all of it, mm-hmm. you know. Some of it they are, and some of it they're not. So to just wor- look at that sometimes and say like, okay, yeah, bad things happen. What's the source of that? How? Why? Am I the cause of that? Am I did I engage in that? Did I will that? Or is it was it just an accident? Yeah. And it's unfortunate. We can be sad about that, but that's not nec- not just not every bad thing is sinful. Yeah. I think about the Gospel of John in the story of the man the healing of the man born blind. When they passed by the apostles asked yeah. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Was this man born blind because of his sins or because of his parents' sins? And Jesus says, uh this is a paraphrase, for neither, uh, right. but basically that the glory of God might be known in him. So bad things happen. Sometimes 
they're as a, re- a direct result of our sins, but sometimes they're, they're not. And you, it's really hard to draw those causal associations. So we're better just kind of being agnostic as to the source of them, asking God to purify our intentions, to illumine our consciences, and then just to kind of help us proceed apace. Speaking of which, I think it's, it's prime time that we take a little break. And then uh, we'll, when we come back, we'll pick back up with, with what sin is. So look forward to seeing you back shortly. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash Godsplaining. We are back. Welcome to God's Planning. Delighted that you're here. Delighted to chat and uh, delighted to be with Father Joseph Anthony Cress, who's up here in Washington, D.C. for the day. So uh, having talked a little bit about what sin is not, let's launch into what sin is. So a kind of classic definition comes from St. Augustine that a sin is a thought, word, or deed contrary to the eternal law. So it's something thought or spoken or done that conflicts with God's eternal wisdom as he has ordained it and as he has made it known in our own lives. I think a lot of people are, are more familiar with the catechism definition. Um, and you have these, these three main sins that play into, excuse me, these three main components that play into a mortal sin. So we've heard of grave matter, um, consent and knowledge are usually listed as grave matter, knowledge, and consent. That's the typical order. You want to just give us an indication as to what those things are? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's rooted in St. Paul when he's talking about how, you know, there are some sins that are deadly and some sins that are not. And so when we're talking about mortal sins, you know, deadly sins, and these three aspects have to be in play, right? We have to have grave matter uh, where there's a, a sufficient offense against that eternal law of God as he has uh, made it known to us. And so when we look at that, like, you know, the, the Ten Commandments are a very common good way to guide us on what is considered grave matter mm-hmm. in that sense um, and to to look at that there you know the venial sins are kind of degrees that are preparing for that um, but when we look at um, mortal sins we have to have something that is sufficiently grave uh, offense against God or our fellow man in that sense yeah I think this is a good place too to say St. Thomas will say something that's kind of sounds shocking the first time you come across it but he says that um Mortal sins are sins in the strict sense, and he says that venial sins are only analogically so-called. They're not, yeah. they're not sins in the strict sense. And what he has in mind is, basically, when you sin, you take something other than God for the end of your life. It might be wealth, it might be fame, glory, honor, sense, pleasure, whatever, but you're choosing to have something else for your end. So it's like you're driving down the road, and you get in a catastrophic car accident. You're no longer making your way to the end. But, he says, by comparison, for venial sins, you don't choose another end. You just go about pursuing that end in a less than excellent way or in a distracted way or dissipated way. So to take back uh, our example there, proceeding down the road, it's not as if you get in a catastrophic wreck, but it's, you know, you kind of get detoured or you take an exit and meander and, you know, you're just not proceeding towards your goal with sufficient urgency or with sufficient love. So when we talk about grave matter, there are some things which constitutes sufficient matter for a real mortal sin, right? But then there are other things that do not. Uh, And those things aren't sins in the same way that mortal sins are. So that's not to say that we say, okay, all venial sins are fine, mortal sins are not fine, because venial sins, a life lived, you know, in which venial sins are committed with frequency, kind of sets you up or conduces to a fall into a mortal sin. But it is to say that it's good to distinguish, so that way we don't go crazy and treat all of them as if they were equally offensive to God. So... 
that's just yeah just a kind of side note about grave matter no i think that's that's really important and getting back to something we talked about actually in our first segment that i want to reprise right here is like the purpose of the sacrament of confession is for the remission of mortal sins mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like that's that's something that's really important to kind of keep in mind in this is when we start uh, looking at some of the things we'll talk about in a little bit as far as how to do an examination and, and things like that, that we are properly talking about mortal sins and sin properly in this uh, in this way. Yeah. Yeah. So just let's give like a brief word about, about knowledge and consent and then we can pass on to those practicals. So a word about knowledge. Here, what we mean to say is that when we choose to sin mortally, we have some sense of the thing, or we have a sufficient sense of the yeah. thing. That doesn't mean that you know every aspect of the thing, but it means that inasmuch as you yourself are humanly responsible for having a grasp on what to do and what not to do, that you, you, you knew it was up, okay? It, you didn't just sin by virtue of the fact that you were underinformed and inculpably so. You sinned because you saw it and you chose it. And so that, that leads us right into consent, Boom. which is to say that the will is engaged. So St. Thomas will say that like the will is the seat of the other powers. It initiates the movements of all the other powers. And so when your will is committed to something, you're committed to something. And so in, in the case of sin, your will uh, is committed, right? Now, you, that commitment may take a variety of forms. Like if you're planning to kill somebody, you might think like, I'd love to kill somebody. Okay, that's, that's a degree of commitment. But if you think like, you know what? I'm going to do it. That's a further degree of commitment yet. Yeah. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it with a candlestick in the conservatory. Okay. Now you're talking about means. You're getting oh super specific. Premeditated. And then Boom. Colonel Mustard toddles along in your direct line of fire. And you're like, that stinking guy. And then, It's on. And then We're you start going swinging the candlestick. That's further commitment yet. Yeah. So when we talk about consent, consent, again, is kind of, it's on a spectrum. But you consent to the thing more or like more vehemently as you proceed in the act. Your consent kind of just concretizes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. With each further consent, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. With yeah. that. And that's like where we're talking about the like how venial sin prepares you for the full act of a mortal sin then. Yeah. So so a mortal sin could be a movement of the heart, you know, the way that the Lord says in the Gospel of Matthew, yeah, right. you know, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that any man who has so much as looked at a woman with lust in his heart has already done so. So it could be it could be an interior thing, but it's something to which we give our will and so mm -hmm. give ourself. Okay, so that's a brief sketch of sin. Let's now get real practical on how to make a good confession. So what would be your first your first advice? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're gearing up for Lent here, and I think a lot of people, Lent is always that reminder of, oh, I got to get back to confession. You yeah. know, like, oh, I, I need to do all these penances and sacrifices, and part of that is going back to confession. And I would encourage people that before you get to the sacrament of confession, um, start immediately by doing a daily examination of conscience to get yourself into the habit of reflecting on your day, reviewing it at the end of the day before you go to sleep and talking about, you know, looking at your, your day in your thoughts, words, and actions, and where have you transgressed? And then when you step into that line in your parish confession, penance, service, party time, whatever you want to call it, when you step into that line, you're not going to be surprised because you've kind of built your, you are in this routine. There's also that reality that for a lot of people, they haven't been to confession since Advent, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're on a regular daily basis reviewing your day, examining your conscience in that sense, 
then you have prepared what you want to ask for forgiveness, what you are sorry for. Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to review four months worth of stuff where you're like, I'm just going to say a bunch of general milk toast stuff yeah. because I'm sure I lied a little bit. I'm sure I said some gossipy things at some point, you know, but you have much more specific things that you're expressing your sorrow for. So first suggestion on a daily basis, do an examination. And I think that helps you to put examination in the context of friendship with the Lord Jesus because Ooh, yes. the, pur the purpose of an examination of conscience isn't to feel like a waste of space and an utterly uninspired Christian, although that may be the case. The purpose of which is to grow in friendship with Christ. And when you when you cultivate a friendship with, with another person, you're in close communication with them. And part of your communication is apologizing and asking for the resources you need to grow in that relationship. And that's just what an examination is. So you're not thinking like, all right, how many ways can I condemn myself? Or how many discrete <laughs> sins can I enumerate? Because right. I will be the more thorough and therefore the more holy, or at the very least, the more abject. <laughs> um, it's, it's more so a matter about looking Christ in the face. And in that gaze, you have a sense of what's amiss and how you need to shape up in order to better love and respond to what he gives. Um, so I think, yeah, like... So, so it, it doesn't mean that you go through a 507-point list every night, no. but that you ask the Lord Jesus to illumine your conscience, to indicate what is wounded, that he might heal it, to indicate what is lukewarm, that he might kindle afresh and kindle a flame, uh, a desire for him. So let's think about maybe a good way to organize one's examination. You're a, you're a big fan of the threefold relationship model, aren't you? Huge fan. <laughs> let's Huge let's fan. talk about that. I'm I'm like that guy at the NBA arena that has the full face paint mm. and like big signs where it's like nobody does this at NBA, like, you know. <laughs> but okay, so I, I I love to suggest to people in in when you're doing this examination to look within the context of relationships, like you were exactly talking about. And the first is how how have I offended the other person precisely? The first one is how have I offended God? How has this relationship maybe not completely been severed, but through my words, thoughts, deeds, actions, inactions, how have I landed a punch, right? I landed a blow to that relationship in some context. And so I think when we think of the multifaceted relationships that we have as human beings, because that's that's who we are. We we are relational beings. That the first one we always have to think about is our relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, I mean, you think about the double love command that we're to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. So when the Lord reads the scriptures, he reads that passage there from Deuteronomy six, and he appends to it that passage from Leviticus nineteen, drawing the connection between God and neighbor because our neighbor is given to us by God. God is present in our neighbor. God loves our neighbor just as much as he loves us. And so to love our neighbor is a way by which to love God, but also to love them because they exist in themselves. They have their own kind of existence and agency. And so when we, we think about our love of God, we reflect next on our love of neighbor. And, you know, there are going to be characteristic things that come to mind. But a lot of times it's going to be a matter of breaking out of a kind of selfishness or egoism. And that's not to say that, like, a bad life is egotistical and a good life is altruistic. But rather that, like, we should be living a life that's in pursuit of goods in common. And we should be able to identify our good yep. with the goods of our brother and sisters. So, like, you're a college student and you think about your good in terms of your grades. But... The reason for which you have come to a university is to enjoy a communion of goods, whether those be classes or professors or a campus ministry setup. And you're responsible, as entailed in all these relationships, for contributing to it. 
And that doesn't mean just like enabling or letting your friend sleep on your couch or like giving other people your meal swipes. It means loving their good unto God, you know, and, and participating in a common life. So that's another that's another good way to examine. Those university examples were hypothetical, right? Just purely hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, none of that took place in our, our day. <laughs> uh, and I, I think the that kind of looking at or doing an examination with respect to relationship with others, that's... I think for a lot of people, the easiest way, mm-hmm. like the easiest, quickest, most kind of natural examination is like, okay, how have I hurt other people? Have I said things or have I done things that have broken those relationships or damaged them? The one with God can be a little harder, but at the same time, I think we're used to thinking that way. Yeah. Um, but the third relationship that I think for a lot of people is the hardest to do is to examine our relationship with ourselves. Yeah, you know, and this is not being egotistical. This is not being a narcissist. Yeah. But this is uh, really, truly saying, "Am I living in the fullness of the image and likeness of God that He's created to me?" So, am I self-deprecatory way too often? Yeah. You know, do I believe lies about myself? Do I tell myself lies about myself? Mm-hmm. Um, am I taking care of you know this this body as a physical being am i taking care of this as a temple of the holy spirit you know do i eat well do i sleep well um have i told myself that i'm not addicted to this thing that i do every day that's a big question oh my god i mean i'm not addicted to it yeah chances are you You might might be be addicted (laughs) (laughs) that's so true though but like have we convinced ourselves have we rationalized um uh, maybe a fabricated image of who we are um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that one is like, have I told myself that I'm not a morning person? And then do I use that as an excuse to skip praying on some days? Whoa! Sure hope not. No. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So I think you know, doing a daily examination, but maybe f- framing it with this threefold relationship can be um, revolutionary for for many people. It was for me when I started doing it that way. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. All right, Father Joseph Anthony, we just got a couple minutes, so let's just do parting thoughts. If you could give one pro tip for making a good use of the sacrament of confession, what would be your go-to pro tip? There's so many. There are so many. Gosh. I've got um, one that I'm thinking about right now. I'll okay. launch, and then you you pick up the second. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first uh, one I would say is trust the sacrament. I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan. We repeat often, <laughs> trust the process. I'm going to say trust the sacrament. So sometimes we think that we can do it better, um, but we just have to trust that God is causing grace in the sacrament, and I use it as it is intended, and it will have its effect. So for one, you just need to say the, the kind, the number, and the pertinent circumstances. You don't have to fill in the psychological details. And that's not because I'm saying, you know, like priests don't care to hear it. Priests are pretty typically, you know, generous and they have great patience for these types of things. But you just have to trust that the description is sufficient and then God will use that as a source of grace. Generally, we want sins, not stories in the sacrament of confessional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just to say that the thing has its effect. And you might not feel that effect. You might not walk out of there with sensible consolation. You might not be able to compare notes with your you know, like fellow students and say like, hey, did you feel like a weight off your shoulders? Or did you feel like someone had washed your soul clean? And you might, those might not be fruitful conversations to have. But what you'll recognize is after two, three years, you'll look back and you'll realize that that person back then was sad and anxious and lonely, and the person here is is less so. So God's grace has taken root and has grown you up and has matured the divine life at work within. So that's my pro tip, trust the sacrament. All right, my pro tip going on from here is the frequency. I wanna talk about frequency. How, how often should one go? Um, 
Yeah, I, I, we were talking earlier before we started recording that the Second Vatican Council suggestion for professed religious was that they should be going about every two weeks or so, right? And I I get the sense, or there there often are, are people, penitents, who come to confession every week because they feel good. And they've gotten this habit, oh, I need to go every week because that's what it means to be a serious Catholic. And the Second Vatican, the church itself was suggesting professed religious at a two-week clip. So unless there is mortal sin, um, I think that we can get into a rhythm. Uh, one Dominican once suggested to go to confession every time you get a haircut, <laughs> which I think that is a great kind of like thought. It's like, oh, I need another haircut. I should probably go to confession too. Because that's not your four, nine-month rotation if you're just doing Christmas and uh, or Advent Lent. But um, I would say like in that you know four to six-week block yeah. is very healthy. Um, to receive the graces of the sacraments in a frequent way, in that sense. Yeah, and if it's something that you just kind of forget, and then you put off week to week, and then you kind of just use those uh, penitential seasons to catch what has otherwise been a few months slide, then I, then then just put a reminder in your phone and just have it recur regularly every X number of weeks, and then treat yourself to some Chick Fil A afterwards. You oh. know? It might not be the case that you can get a peppermint chocolate chip milkshake wow. because that's seasonal. It might not be the case that you can get a peach milkshake because that too that's is really seasonal. seasonal. But, but you, you can, can always get Chick-fil-A sauce. You can always get Chick-fil-A sauce. You can always get a spicy chicken deluxe. You can always get delicious waffle fries. And there's going to be the, co- the cookies and cream shake regardless. It's the Lord's calories is it's, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, make it regularly recurring. And you might, miss a, you might miss the day, right? But then go the next week. So don't think like, oh, yeah. I missed my particular slot. I may as well just wait until the next slot comes. No. Like the frequency itself is part of your devotion. It's part of the way that you show up for the Lord in order for him to show up better for you in the life of grace. Because he's drawing you there. He's inviting. He's initiating. He's, uh, he's, he's attracting. And it's just a matter of our response and not posing impediments. Yep. So, again, this is Lent. We're getting back to basics. We're delighted to join you uh, for this time. And if you think this would be helpful for one of your friends, I know it'll be helpful for one of your friends. So go ahead and share it um, to one or two people whom you think might benefit from the conversation and could stand to, yeah, enjoy a good conversation about, uh, about the sacrament of confession in particular. So thanks for joining us on Godsplaining, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.